Well, let me start by saying joyful greetings and good morning to God's church. Grace to all of you, as Paul wrote, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us start the message this morning by coming to the, uh, the throne of our God and having a word of prayer with our everlasting King. Almighty, eternal God, we praise your holy name this morning and always. We thank you for this opportunity, this privilege, of gathering together as one people under your crown to rejoice in the salvation you've given us through your Son, Jesus, to read and to learn and to apply the word that you've given us through your scriptures, and to go from here today prepared and ready to minister to others with assorted helps and with words of encouragement and with the light of the gospel, which if they will believe it, they will also be saved. All glory and majesty, power and honor are yours alone. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. So, as we all know, we've been watching the news. The election is over. The votes are counted. In a few more weeks, half of America will be happy. Half of America will be not so happy when a new president moves into the White House. Today's sermon will absolutely not be any form of political commentary about the winner of the election. This will be a biblical commentary about what God requires from us as Christians as we respond and react to the choice that has already been settled. As we turn on the news, we can see footage of protesting, sometimes involving violence, the burning of things. We hear stories of universities canceling the students' exams because the students are just too upset about the outcome of the election to focus on their classes. We hear rumors of certain states wanting to separate from the union over this because their voters did not get what they wanted. And the rumor mill all around us spreads fear and unrest and gossip of even civil war. But we, friends, we must remember and realize that we are not of this world. We have been born from above. Our highest citizenship is of the kingdom of heaven. And no matter who sits in any earthly political office, we have a king who sits eternally on a throne in heaven. And though this nation and this world often seem bent on burning itself to the ground, we who are in Christ have a higher command. And it is absolutely required of us that we respond to the world and live among the world in a right manner, not led by political events, not by civil opinions, but led only by the command of our king, by the word of our God. The people who are out there doing these things that, that we read about and that we see on the news, they are only blindly following the only master they really know. They are serving the prince of this world, obeying the desires of and working for the agenda of Satan himself. And that is all that they really can do. They are not capable of anything much better until they know that they are lost in sin and know that they need a savior just as we needed a savior. Until they know that they are under the danger of God's judgment and wrath and repent from disbelief and disobedience and come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this should be a part of our response to them. To be out there, we were just speaking in Sunday school this morning about the courage that it takes to get out there among this world and witness the saving gospel of Jesus Christ into a world which just hates it so much. 
They hate it because it reminds them of their guilt. It reminds them of their impending damnation. They don't want to hear it. But our God, our King, has commanded us. And because we know that He has sent us, we can do this courageously. It's not a political problem out there. It's not a political problem at all. It is a lost-in-sin problem. But God can save them. And rather than fear them or talk badly about them, we should be praying every day for them and witnessing the gospel to them every chance that we get. And so, let us go to God's Word and receive what the Lord tells us about our Christian submission to human authority and find out what the Scriptures say about any acceptable times or proper ways to refuse human authority and find out how to apply it all to what is going on in our own lives and in our country. If you would, please, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to the 13th chapter of Romans, Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, which says this, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Romans 13, 1 and 2. In addition to that, let us take a look in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 13 and 15. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15 says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Amen. So we have heard what our Lord says on the matters which are going on all around us, so let us take a close look at what this means for us. First, let's notice that in those two verses, in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter 2, we have two parallel commands. Be in subjection to the governing authorities in Romans 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution in 1 Peter chapter 2. As much as with the Ten Commandments, upon which are based most of the foundational civil laws man has written for himself. We are simply given no other option, not one inch of wiggle room, no special exceptions for picking or discarding between laws, no personal deciding based on our own whims of which laws we will or will not obey. Now, many of our past presidents have enacted laws which we do not agree with, which we cannot morally support on Christian grounds. We know about uh, many of those already. Our new president, for all, all we know, may or may not do some of the, of the same. And it is God's bottom line on this matter that we as Christians are to respectfully obey those laws. From the big federal laws, like no murder, all the way down to obscure local ordinances like no littering and every law in between. And we will get to a bit more in just a moment. We do all know that Scripture does afford the Christian one and only one 
caveat concerning the obedience or disobedience of man's laws. Before we leave here today, we will examine that caveat in its proper light. But the blanket statement of Scripture is this. Obey all of man's laws and support the government which makes those laws even when you don't agree with it. But why? It's a very good question. God knew that we would have a tendency to complain about the government no matter who sits in what office. Nobody is happy all the time. All of the people are not happy all the time. We would have a proclivity to resist whatever laws we don't like. And that is why God tells us in these two verses that we have read, it is because there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God, Romans 13. And also, this is the will of God, that by doing right we may silence the ignorance of foolish people in 1 Peter. The civil authorities which are appointed over us and sit lawfully in their offices, whether you voted for them or against them, whether you like them or dislike them, whether you are happy about them or disappointed about them, they are in the position they are because God placed them there. God uses the votes of the people, yes, but ultimately it is God who decides who will be in what office. And it is God's will for us that we set the example to the world out there by doing what is right, by supporting and obeying those authorities, and by doing so, silence the mouths of the grumblers and the rabble-rousers. And if we do not, if we protest, if we disobey, what does God say? Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And that's quite a terrifying thing to do. It is far too easy in this weak and easily led astray humanity of ours to think that some particular law that we don't like just really isn't that big of a deal, really makes no difference, and just go ahead and ignore it for as long as we can get away with it. But if you will allow me to exaggerate just a bit for the sake of bringing the point home, let us just suppose Almighty God himself visibly manifests himself to you on the Walmart parking lot and he says to you, you see that sign over there? It says, return your shopping cart to the designated area to avoid damage to vehicles. Now would that be a pretty big deal to you? God standing there telling you even such a seemingly small thing as putting your shopping cart away. It's God standing there and speaking to you. Would you be inclined to obey that or to just brush it off because, well, it's just a shopping cart? You see, it does not matter how important or how insignificant the law may seem to us. It is God who has raised into position the people who wrote those laws. Therefore, to disobey those laws in the big picture is to disobey God himself. Recall, after the exodus out of Egypt, God gave the Israelites many laws which would seem insignificant to us today. But the punishment for breaking those laws, because those laws came from God through his hand-appointed law givers, Moses and Aaron, the punishment was death. And yes, of course, we who have believed the gospel 
who have repented our sins, who have come to salvation through Jesus Christ, we are under grace. We are not under law, but that is for our salvation. We're saved by God's grace, not by obedience to the law, which is impossible for us to do, but that's for our salvation. That's not for the way that we live out in this world. We can't say we're under grace, so we don't have to obey what man says. It is precisely, on the other hand, because God has shown us so much grace, love, tenderness, patience, that he didn't strike us down in the midst of our sins and leave us condemned, that he, he brought us to himself to believe the, the gospel and to be saved is precisely because of, of all of this that we should in return take the laws and the lawmakers as seriously as he does because he is the one in control out there. He is the one appointing people to the offices that they occupy. We should obey the lawmakers and, re and respect the lawmakers as though they are given by God himself because they do come from authorities which God himself has raised up and allowed to come to power. But now, as I stated earlier, there are rare and specific exceptions. We as Christians may at some times in our life, under very specific conditions, be called upon to disobey certain very specific kinds of laws, and in so doing, not be held guilty before God. So let us go to what the scriptures say and look at some examples. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, and we actually just read this uh, in our Sunday school earlier this morning. In Acts, chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, we read, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. Now, in the book of Acts, just before this, in chapter 3, as Peter and John were going into the temple, they saw a man who was paralyzed from the day that he was born. And Peter said to him, I have no silver, no gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And that man was immediately healed. And this was seen by the religious authorities of the time, by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jewish council, and they being well aware of the recent events concerning Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection, wanted to just quietly put all of that behind them. They didn't want anybody out there preaching the name of Jesus. They wanted the people to forget what had just happened. And so they ordered Peter and John to stop going around town preaching in the name of Jesus. Now this council was a lawfully established authority allowed to rise to their position by God. But did Peter and John obey them and stop preaching Jesus? What did the scriptures say? No. They preached Jesus every chance they had, not to be defiant against a legal authority, but because that legal authority ordered them to disobey God who had already commissioned them to go out and preach the gospel to all nations. They obeyed God rather than man even when it meant, as we can read other places in the scripture, they received punishment under the hands of man and they gladly bore that punishment for the sake of being obedient to God. As well, in the Old Testament, Daniel and his friends 
were very well aware of the king's lawful decree that no one was allowed to be worshipped or prayed to except the king himself. Did they obey that order from a king who was raised up to the position of being king by God? Daniel prayed daily in violation of this law, prayed daily to Almighty God of Israel right up until the day they threw him into a lion's pit, and then he just prayed even more. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we all know the story. They refused to bow to the king. They refused to obey that lawful order from a lawfully appointed king. They worshipped the Lord God, even though it meant being thrown alive into a furnace. Now, Daniel and his friends were all rescued by the hand of God, of course. They came through their punishment quite safely. But that is obviously much more the exception than the rule. Rare case there in Scripture. For example, look at how many times we can read of Paul being ordered by lawful authorities to stop preaching. And how many times did he just preach even more? How many times can we read about Paul being imprisoned and beaten? Paul at one point even wrote of being boiled in a pot of oil for obeying God rather than obeying man who was telling him to stop preaching. Now whatever we may feel about our government, whatever our thoughts may be about our current president or the president coming in, we must be honest and admit that really, here in America... Do we realize how cozy, how insulated we are? I mean, nobody's going to beat us or imprison us or certainly not boil us in a pot of oil for going out there and preaching the gospel. At least not yet. We do know that somewhere closer to the end of times that certainly will come, but not quite yet. We are very safe in America going out there preaching the gospel into this world, the only thing holding us back is our own need for encouragement and, and for the courage of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to go out there and just do what God said do. We may be afraid of what people may think of us, but that's an us thing. That's a being timid thing. They can't beat us with baseball bats and cut our heads off like is happening in some countries. We're legally free to go and preach the gospel. Let's pray to God for the courage to do so and go do it. But, what about some of the other laws which our legally established government, raised up by God to the position that it holds, does have on the books? We might remember one fairly recent example about a same-gender couple who ordered a wedding cake from a bakery which was owned by a Christian. The Christian owner refused to provide that cake because of what the scriptures say and because of what his Christian conscience told him about same-gender relationships. And that offended couple did bring legal action against that bakery and against that owner. Current law says that it is illegal for a business to refuse service to someone based on gender identity or on sexual preferences among many other criteria. So, did the bakery owner do right by disobeying man's law in this case? Even among Christians, opinions may vary. But the only decisive factor is this. What does God actually say? 
regarding that particular set of circumstances, here is the answer of Scripture. And this verse can be used as a trustworthy guide in all that we do, the decisions that we ourselves must make as we are faced with the questions of obeying God or obeying man. In our Bibles, at Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21, to set that up, the preceding verses before Matthew 22 and 21 tell us that the Pharisees were conspiring for a way to catch Jesus in a trap. They wanted to get Jesus to say something against the rule of Roman government, which everyone hated, especially having to pay taxes to Caesar and actually give up their own money to help support the government that they hated. And so, coming to Jesus with a lot of false, hypocritical flattery, they said to him, Oh, teacher, you are so honest. You speak the word of God. As you read it on the page, you can almost hear the sarcasm dripping from their voice. We know that you show favoritism to no one, so what do you say about paying taxes to Caesar? They didn't really want to know. They just wanted him to say something against the government so they could go on with their plans to set him up to be killed. In response, Jesus asked for a coin, and he held it up, and he asked whose picture is on this coin. And of course, it was a Roman coin. It had a, a, an image of Caesar on it. And so at Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21, Jesus says to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. Simple as that. Pay the taxes which at this time are lawfully required of you to pay to Rome, but do not neglect to obey God first as highest authority. So this, then, is our required measure for deciding between man's law and God's law whenever those situations arise. The bakery owner, for example, knew God's law about same-gender relationships and also knew that as a Christian he could not give even the appearance of approving that wedding. And he wisely chose to obey God and willingly place himself under the resulting lawsuit of man. But let us make certain that we apply this measure rightly. It's far too easy to use an isolated verse like this as some sort of self-justifying of our own feelings. Well, I'm not going to do that because, you know, God says different. Think carefully about these things as they arise. That baker and his situation was one set of circumstances, but what if man's law says that you cannot have any Christian displays in your assigned workplace? Hmm? Do you stand on Matthew chapter 22 and put up Bible verse posters anyway and get yourself fired? Well, you can. But God's word has not been violated by an employer's workplace policy regarding Bible verse posters, so you would be in the wrong if you did something like that. If your employer, on the other hand, requires you to falsify paperwork to his gain, maybe even offering you a cut of the profits, that should be a no-brainer there. No, boss, I'm not going to do it. The Lord my God says I can't, even though it might be your policy. And you would do well to obey God by looking for a different job if he requires you to do something like that. So each case being unique in particular, we must, must carefully and rightly balance all that the scriptures say as we have to make some of these decisions. 
There are far, many too, uh, far too many possibilities to try to cover right now. But, friends, if you truly have repented from sin, if you have believed upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you have received God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life, and if the Holy Spirit does dwell within you, then it does all boil down to this. When we face the questions of who is or who is going to be president, like it, don't like it, whoever we voted for, how do we respond, what laws currently are on the books, what laws may soon in the future be on the books, and how those might affect us. It all comes down to one thing when we make these decisions. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's, Matthew 22. Be subject to all governing authorities because God has placed them there. And to resist them is to resist what God is doing. Romans 13. Submit to all human authorities because it is the will of God and we must be examples. 1 Peter chapter 2. Yet very carefully and very rightly balance those with Acts chapter 4. We must obey God even though you lawful authorities tell us to stop preaching God's word or, or whatever it is that we're doing. As well as the examples of Daniel and Paul. Do not fear when man requires you to do something that you know violates God, uh, God's word. Do not fear to stand up and say, no, I'm sorry. Whatever the consequences might be, I cannot do that. I must obey the God who has saved me over any temporary rule of man. And so with these things in mind, regarding some of the events of the recent weeks, whoever we voted for, however we feel about who won, and everything else, we must leave the demonstrating and the rioting and the burning and the civil disobedience and the complaining to the world outside there. All of those people that we see on the news, those who, the truth of God's word be told, just cannot be expected to submit and behave until they come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. If those people were saved in Christ, they would not be doing what we see on the news. We who do know Jesus Christ, we will obey our everlasting King by supporting and especially by praying for our nation and its leaders. Every person in every office needs our prayer humbly and gladly obeying the laws of our leaders with the single exception, the one single exception of occasions when their laws clearly and directly conflict with the laws of God. And even then, any disobedience to, uh, toward man's law will not from us be militant or violent, but meek and respectful. And as Daniel and Paul and Peter and John we will submit to any lawful discipline imposed on us by man for obeying God first and above all. It is what the Lord our God expects from us. We will give to Caesar what is Caesar's in every form, but we will also always and first give to God what is God's. Sometimes that does mean obedience to him above laws of man, but we must be certain that we do it rightly respectfully, and in a way that honors the Lord God who has saved us. Um, let us close today's message with a word of prayer to our God. 
Almighty, everlasting God, in Your grace and Your love and Your mercy, You have saved us and cleansed us from our sin and called us to righteousness through the blood. Jesus Christ willfully, voluntarily, shed for us on the cross. Through His death, He took the punishment that we each deserve. Through His resurrection from the grave, You've given us eternal life. As a result of this, You've changed us and You are changing us daily, making us more and more like Christ. And like Him, help us to be lights to this world out there. And now, Lord, let Your servants depart in peace according to Your Word. For our eyes have seen Your salvation, which You have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Amen.